As you all know, sharpfootballanalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. We just went live with our playoff packages. Warren's lifetime NFL playoffs record is 147.88 for a 63% winning percentage, while his Super Bowl picks sit at 25 and 10 for a 71% winning percentage. Get on board now for the most profitable stretch of the season. Use code ANGLES25 for $25 off any playoff products at sharpfootballanalysis.com. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? It is your resident, Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and we made it. Week 15 hung on for dear life, but we finally flipped the page. It is week 16, and hopefully some of you, most of you, escaped with some fantasy wins last week, and you're playing in the semifinals, uh, and are surviving in your FFPC leagues, all those other leagues. You're still winning, hitting those cash lines at DFS and winning your bets. We made it, though. Week 16, only three weeks left. And I had to call in a fellow Ohioan friend here. Uh, it is Ian Harditz from Pro Football Focus. Ian, what's going on, brother? Appreciate you having me on, man. First time, but long time fan. <laughs> Obviously, you've been kind enough to join me on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast on multiple occasions. So happy to talk it up with you, man. Go Ohio. Yeah. How, how was week 15 for you? Did you survive? Ah, just barely, man. It's uh, I forget who tweeted, but they were like, um, like one of the footballer guys, and they just made the point, like, if anyone actually won their like fantasy football game, like, I, I don't believe you, and that's kind of how it felt at times, man. <laughs> Seeing just some of those projections that look so good on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you know, finishing <laughs> under 100 points, it, it hurt, man. But you know what? It's one of those things where, uh, I think especially as I was like looking ahead to this week, uh, you kind of just assume you're like, oh my gosh, I got this guy out and this guy out start looking around your league and you see the other rosters and you kind of realize that you're not the only one going through these problems. So that is the thing with fantasy football, man, like COVID suspensions, trades, you know, all these things suck, but you're not the only one being exposed to them, even though it feels like that sometimes. Yeah. It's, I tried to, on my Sunday chat, I tried to say too, like whenever it says, Hey, everyone else is dealing with it too. There are all these other teams in the playoffs. So I understand if you had Travis Kelsey, you know, he he had the monster game. Maybe he'll be back. We'll see. But, uh, Before we jump into into everything this week is week 16, and we'll try to cover a lot of the bases like I did last week with Matthew Freeman at uh, the points, the inflection points people may have. Uh, But I always like to ask the guests, you know, kind of, you know, how they got into into this space, you know, kind of what your background was and what got, you know, Ian Harditz to the lead at, at Pro Football Focus. Man, I just love football. And I really, that's been my one thing that I have uh, my entire life. I remember being devastated when I was like, when I was like five or six years old, I'd draw up plays. And then I found out when I was like seven that there were like 11 players on both sides, not 10. I was like, oh no, all this work for for absolutely nothing. But I I, uh, just, I love playing it growing up. And um, I was lucky enough to play in college for um, two years, you know, just uh, University of Chicago is D3. I was never going pro or anything like that, but I uh, got hit in the head a couple times. And I was like, you know what? It's concussions, probably nothing to play with. Uh, let's go ahead and retire. And then I was like, well, damn, a lot of, a lot of spare time now on the plate. And as I'm sure everyone knows in college, you know, when you have that spare time, you can certainly find some not so good things to uh, fill it up with. So I just kind of really wanted to find a way to kind of replace that football hole in my life. And by doing it, you know, man, I, I used to read like every single football article I can get my hands on. Eventually I was like, you know, I think maybe I can do this. So uh, I would just email every single writer out there and just basically say like, Hey, uh, I'm not a football writer, but I'm pretty handy with Excel. I get the game. Could I send you like studies that then you could write about? And the only guy that replied to me was Jonathan Bales, who was kind enough to kind of groom me over the years, you know, founder of Fantasy Labs. Now he's just a crypto millionaire. So maybe should have uh, tagged along to his coattails for a little bit longer and the old bank account might be looking better. Either way, that kind of helped me get my foot in the door in the industry. And, you know, probably nine years of hard work later, ended up being uh, picked up by PF where they basically just let me, you know, rant, say a bunch of, uh, you know, sometimes dumb shit, sometimes smart shit, and, uh, you know, just have a pretty good time as we're doing it. So that's, I guess, you know, where I think I'm different than other, uh, you know, fantasy folks is that, you know, for me, I always enjoyed fantasy football and, you know, having the chance to uh, just write about it to me was like closer, as close as I could get to, you know, quote unquote, real football. And I think a lot of our analysis, like if people would just accept that fantasy points are a pretty good stat for like just overall production, uh, they kind of be less intimidated by the subject in general. But yeah, just 
it's the game, man. Anything, uh, anytime you can wake up and just look at your schedule and you're like, oh, I can talk about football today. I get to research football today. I found that's a hell of a lot better than my brief, you know, 10 month stint as a consultant where I was like, get me the hell out of this cubicle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, as a, as someone that went through the Roto World channels as well, especially this time of year, uh, you, you don't, do you miss blurbing? Oh my God, no. And that's, that's honestly like what took me to PFF. Like they said all these great things and uh, you know, Oh yeah. It pays going to be this, your hours, this. And I was like, all right, what about news? Like, do I have to do any of that stuff still? So, you know, shout out to those guys, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I know yeah. um, before them, or I guess, I guess now who we got like Daigle, Pat, um, Kyle, you know, uh, Pat, Denny, Denny, man, you have to grind, man. No one knows exactly. Like, I feel like unless you've done news, like you just don't realize uh, the complete, you know, strain it is like we're on what four, six hour shifts a lot of times. And you got that tweet deck scrolling and every single time you look away at your phone, you know, something new is breaking out there on you. So the ability to, you know, not only be accurate and act- have actionable data, but then also to be witty with it sometimes, you know, and try to go get those clicks, get those viral uh, tweets out there. Uh, you know, it is a lot of work and it's not like that's all those guys are doing. You know, they're also producing a lot of, a lot of great content. So I'm happy someone else does it because, you know, miss me with that news. <laughs> yeah. And it's been in the way the last two weeks have been, have been insane. Oh and that's before we jump into the specific week succeed stuff that's on ask on just like kind of your general thoughts on this season, you know, you could take it any direction, like just from like, a strategy perspective, how it's played out. Have you enjoyed this season? How's it treating you? Like you take it, spin it however you want to. Yeah. I've, you know, it was funny after the first three or four weeks, you know, I was, I'm in like 13, 14 season long leagues this year, which probably a few too many. I, I really boosted it up uh, this time around, but it was funny because after the first few weeks I had, maybe like four teams that were legit, like one and three, oh, and four. And you know, I was waking up and looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, how are you this bad at fantasy football when this is your job, man? Like what's going on? Now those teams turned around, I'm not, you know, I, I think I got five left in like the semis and stuff. So good, good percentage and stuff, you know, didn't have any does except for one freaking team. That's with, it's a shitty eight man league with not a single industry expert, but with my college friends. And now I'm trying to freaking stay alive in the losers bracket. So other than the league, you know, my home league, I care the most about things have been going up uh, pretty good, man. But I got that nice reminder uh, from my banker friends who now think that they're better at fantasy football than myself. So other than just getting shit on in the group chat, uh, <laughs> things have been going good, man. But I would just say, you know, the big lesson, I've kind of come to so far, uh, you know, just looking at, for me, a couple of the misses, like Jonathan Taylor, someone that, as we know, is winning everyone in their leagues. I'm not saying I was out on him, but I think I had him closer to RB10, RB11 than someone that you just needed to be taking in the first round. And then, of course, you know, Cooper Cup doing his thing as well. So going into next year, they're going to be the consensus RB1 and wide receiver one because of what they did in 2021. And I think we kind of fell into that trap last year. At least I did a little bit, you know, in terms of guys like Tyler Boyd, Hey, number one receiver on the Bengals. Will he be again? Maybe not, but the you know floor should still be high. Got to look more like, you know, what Jamar Chase is coming in and doing there. And with Jonathan Taylor, I looked at it last year. And if you just looked at a uh, Heinz, Marlon Mack and Jordan Wilkins, they have more combined touches than Jonathan Taylor did uh, as a rookie. So looking at that, that was kind of my reasoning, but maybe I should have put a little more stock into what's going to happen versus what just did happen. So that would kind of be, that is going to be my biggest lesson to take away for 2022. Like, I think we need to be really careful when we set our draft boards for the next year and not just, you know, taking what just happened in 2021 and then uh, putting it forward into 2022. I know we, you know, we, we project, we look at coaching changes and depth chart changes throughout free agency and the draft, obviously it changes thing, but I still think probably more so than we should, we have that baseline just reflecting what happened last year. And, you know, we talk and it's a, I'm not saying no one uh, already doesn't, make this adjustment, but it's kind of like when we see the quarterbacks, you know, with a touchdown rate North of 7.5%. And like, you don't want to say someone's going to regress just to regress at the same time, man, you know, you look at these guys, how often are players having these career years back to back time. So uh, going against the grain, you know, you might be the only guy that, you know, isn't ranked. I, I know you, uh, two years ago, it worked. I don't know if the process uh, turned out the way you did, but I thought the process for your reasoning was great. When you ranked uh, Devontae Adams over Michael Thomas, like, okay, Michael Thomas just broke freaking Marvin Harrison's reception record and he got hurt and that's why it didn't work out. But I still thought ranking Devontae over him was better based on the quarterback, based on the projected target share for the next season. So I think more so just continuing to look ahead and less so behind. uh, That's what I'm really going to try to focus more on. 
Yeah, we're going to be approaching that time of the year where we look at just the season in bulk and then look at the forward projections in bulk. And those are always so misleading. And then by the time we get to <laughs> August and the echo chamber has had seven months of our, our minds, uh, you know, we'll, we'll all be back doing the same, making the same mistakes like we always do. Uh, I do want to touch on real fast. You, you joined the Apex League for the first time this year. Yes, sir. And it's uh, an industry league that's been going on, I think, for eight years now. And this draft is always just a complete bloodbath. And like it's three start, three wide receivers in a flex, like wide receivers just go crazy. And it was your first year in the league. And so I always love watching like first how the first guys draft the first timers. And you just kind of just stuck to your plan here. You're like, well, I'll just keep taking whatever the best player uh, to start. And they ended up being three running backs, which you, cause you didn't really, I don't know if you had the anticipation, like all these receivers just gonna go nuts. Yeah, but no, it, definitely not. <laughs> but you're sitting here and you're in the semifinals. You went 20 and eight in the regular season. Cause we play an opponent in the league average every week, which is a great, you know, uh, format. Uh, and, and you're sitting here at the end and it, it worked out for you. We're looking good, man. I got the buy and everything. And, you know, I, Graham's been really, you know, he, I think he had the one seed in here. So Graham's got a hell of a roster. But I'm feeling good, man. I think we got a chance to maybe be uh, first year in and taking home uh, that championship glory. We'll see. But, yeah, ended up, uh, you know, we got Jalen Hurts or Joe Burrow. Hurts has just been great um, this year. You know, several leagues that I'm still alive where he's just been carrying the squad. Nick Chubb, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, you know, a little bit up and down from some of those guys. But I've been able to snap. Madison and Jeff Wilson to help you know provide some goodness in between in the wide receiver room it's weak man but look who's coming back in week 16 none other than Antonio Brown mm-hmm. so uh Jalen Waddle man he's someone I had everywhere I was able to scoop up Dawson Knox so love how that league's going but you said it about those wide receivers the only other time I drafted this summer that I can remember wide receivers flying so early was doing freaking oversets randomizer thing <laughs> where it's just like a freaking bit to not draft a running back for as long as possible but yeah, man, and that's, uh, you know, during some of these drafts, uh, it is obviously you want to know your league rules. And I, to be fair, like I didn't really realize in this league that you could only start three running backs, uh, which is kind of a, kind of an issue when you have four or five really good ones. But, you know, building some depth isn't the worst thing as well. That's another lesson I would say I'm going to be a lot more mindful of going to next year because everyone. Yeah, you need to focus on your league scoring rules. I think, I think everyone's pretty clear on that. But really trying to, you know, as people, I, I know you're the same way, man, where we're going from best ball to dynasty to season long, you know, one after another. Those strategies really freaking change in a hurry. So just being really clear to everyone, particularly when we're giving advice about, yeah, you know, zero RB, you know, hero RB, whatever you want to call it. I do think there's a lot of, uh, you know, good evidence that shows that's a great way to, you know, construct your best ball rosters. But season long against your friends, you know, maybe not everyone's quite as sharp. I think maybe we can have a bigger discussion about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, listen, the one thing that there's been a lot of strategies chatter already starting as we're winding down to the end of the season and it's going to become like the at the forefront here in a couple of weeks. But I will say the one thing that did was tried and true in a season filled with variants was, you know, staying out of, of buying those running backs and like, you know, rounds four through eight. Like that's, yeah. that's one thing yeah. that stayed tried and true, man. And, and it's not just about, you know, the players you could, that you drafted there. Cause there were still wide receiver misses. It's not saying like, Oh, there were all these wide receivers were good in that area. You could have taken Cortland Sutton or Robbie Anderson or Juju Smith-Schuster, but it's also about who you're avoiding, you know, also as well. It's when you in, in, invoke strategy. So you could have uh, just by as a product of not taking running backs also got you on Cooper Cup, got you on, yeah. you know, T Higgins or Jamar Chase uh, over this over that stretch in that zone, too. So that's one thing that did stay true. I saw Hayden Winks tweet out a bunch of stats about how the, the, the running back dead zone was even more prominent this year. So I'm sure we'll hear a bad, lot man. more. <laughs> we'll hear a lot more uh, about it this offseason. So let's let's jump into week 16. Let's talk about first uh, the uh, the player that you just brought up on your roster. You know, Antonio Brown coming back from the not only the foot injury, but the suspension with the suspension gave him more time off to recover from this ankle injury. But, uh, you know, the Bucks have some moving parts now. You know, they, we lose uh, Leonard Fournette, one of the best fantasy buys of the season. He had carried a lot of teams to this point. Uh, we also lose Chris Godwin and Mike Evans in that game. Mike Evans might be back, but Antonio Brown's coming back literally at the apex time of when he's needed on this Bucks roster. Uh, so, so how high is too high for Antonio Brown this week? 
I think it's one of these things where we can talk about like wide receiver 10 versus wide receiver 15. Either way, get the man in your freaking starting lineup. And then when we go on DraftKings, he's 4,900. Like how can you not squeeze him into that cash game lineup as well? So I think it's pretty straightforward for him. With that said, man, I do think there are some potential pitfalls now. Start him, please don't fade him. But he is probably going to see shadow coverage from Stephon Gilmore, man. They've only started doing this in the past two weeks. And he did a good job, you know, limiting Russell Gage to 64 scoreless yards, Stephon Diggs, 35 yards and a score. And, you know, I've been doing this damn wide receiver cornerback article. It's like 10,000 words. I need to just find better things to do in my life. But I've been doing this every week for like four or five years. And I've learned that we don't need to, you know, prioritize shadow matchups and ranking players and even matchups in general. I think we, um, overrate. So I, I like to use it more as a tiebreaker tool uh, as opposed to something like a rule of thumb. But man, that's a tough matchup. That's one of the best shadow cornerbacks in the league that he's going to be seeing. And when you look at, you know, what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could be doing, Rob Gronkowski is still going to be involved. Um, obviously, alongside him, maybe Mike Evans is back. It's not looking that way. But I think the one guy kind of going under the radar here is Tyler Johnson, because when he was replacing Antonio Brown, he was on the outside. It was just more yeah. so, I think, because it didn't have Perryman yet. Scotty Miller was an IR. Jalen Darden, you know, wasn't really, I think, comfortable enough with the offense. Like Tyler Johnson is their Godwin backup. Now he's mm-hmm. good enough to play the other spots, but they didn't need him. When you have, they still have Evans, Godwin, Gronk for most of the time. That's why Johnson didn't have those reps. Now Godwin's out of the picture, man. I think they're really going to prioritize, particularly as long as Mike Evans is out, Johnson as their number two receiver. And yeah, maybe he's still a number three pass game option but hell man Fournette's out too like someone needs those underneath area targets I really hope it's not going to be Ronald Jones uh you know he is awfully horrific uh when it comes to catching the football so Tyler Johnson uh would be I think the more interesting play for me both in season long as a potential low-end wide receiver three maybe that's a little optimistic but particularly uh in DFS at just 3900 I believe on DraftKings he's someone where I think not enough people are paying attention to because you know we're taking the easy one with AB and I get it, man. Only Cooper Cup has averaged more yards per out run. Like it wasn't even that AB was like looking good. He looked like pre like 2018 good before he got hurt this year. So happy about AB, but really don't sleep on Tyler Johnson's ability to start becoming a target hog in the slot in his own right. Yeah, I like Tyler Johnson playing the more natural position. I mean, he's a guy that just he's just a win with separation. So he's not yeah. going to win outside. Uh, he was kind of, you know, forced into that role, like you said, by circumstances of the roster. And that's why he didn't really pop when people were excited. He was going to get more playing time. He's always been a popular fantasy guy, the dynasty guy, uh, because he was so productive in college uh, at Minnesota. But he is built to play like more of like that big slide. Like you said, maybe he replaces Godwin next year, especially with now the conundrum we'll have with Godwin into this offseason with the, how late in the season this injury was and him being a free agent. I hope not because I love Chris Godwin. The man's a baller. Man. On the same team, you brought up Ronald Jones, who now is elevated due to Leonard Fournette being out. Uh, you know, do, do you see Ronald Jones? You kind of seem like yeah, a little trepidation, maybe that he could be a trap, but obviously we're so thirsty for running back touches. Uh, where do you see yourself kind of slotting Ronald Jones in this week? I, I just did my like, DFS episode for the PFF fantasy pop before this. So like I'm fresh on all these uh, oh, yeah. you know, takes with these guys. So in cash, man, I just... <sighs> when we, we have Montgomery and James Robinson, like as easy locks. And then after that, it co- comes down. Like do you want Rojo, Sony Michelle, or maybe Justin Jackson, if Eckler's out. And I kind of lean towards Jackson and getting those targets because with Rojo, it does seem like Keyshawn Bonds going to be the pass down guy. Now I know he got the stare down from Brady when he dropped that easy one in the flat last week. So maybe it is just the <laughs> Ronald Jones show, but I always bring up this example, man. Like I truly think that Rojo is the worst receiving running back in the NFL because against the bears last, year he catches a touchdown like he caught the ball did not hit the ground he rolled into the end zone the ref was like incomplete and Rojo just like all right and flips him the ball doesn't even like come on man how many times do we see like a wide receiver the ball's rolling on the ground they're like challenge that come on coach you know I caught that and Rojo actually did catch it and they didn't challenge it because he agreed that he didn't catch it so just assume (laughs) just assume man like so brutal but with that said they're 11 point favorites against a team that we have seen 
seen people been able to run on. Um, and just like, you know, when we can get 20 touches from anyone, if you can get 20 touches from anyone, in any offense, like it's going to be hard to fade him. Like look at what we're doing with Devontae Booker for a month and look at Saquon Barkley since he's come back. Has Saquon been great? No, he's still been a top 24 RB. And I think four of the last five weeks, just based on that volume. So that's the worst case what Rojo has. And, you know, I know there's still kind of this like truth or community for him. Maybe it's just the people that, you know, have all that best ball exposure and they're still just trying to rationalize it to themselves. That was when I was getting sick about the zero RB shit, man. People were like touting these lineups with Rojo as their RB one and like proud of it. It's like, what are we doing here right now? So, um, you know, I'm not saying it was cut and dry that Fournette was necessarily going to be the league guy, but at a minimum Rojo, we know as a rusher, he can be very good. I mean, last year, like he was good enough as a rusher, man, like Fournette, they had that story. Like he was, he was a healthy scratch in week 14 yep. or something. Like he was almost out of the freaking picture because Rojo was being that good as a rusher, still averaging 4.8 yards per carry this year. I know it's not the be all tell all staff for RBs, but you know what? At the end of the day, 20 plus touches in the league, best scoring offense, similar to AB. I can see the potential pitfalls, but even if you want to be conservative, man, I still think he's an upside RB2 that should be in far more starting lineups than that. Yeah, you look at last year, Fournette missed four games, and he was an RB2 or better in all of them, uh, you know, uh, 19 or more touches in all of them, 84 or more yards in all of them. So I'm going to put your feet to the fire on Ronald Jones because some teams may – you never know who's stashing these, these backup running backs. So you yeah. might have a conundrum with Ronald Jones. Uh, you don't have to go super in-depth on these, but I'm going to throw out a couple names. You can tell me who you would choose Okay. okay. Uh, between Ronald Jones or – so if I've got Ronald Jones or James Robinson, who are you starting Man, James Robinson. I think uh, we know he has the three down role. Mm-hmm. I think if God, I don't see how the Panthers build a lead on the Buccaneers, but you know what? We just saw the Lions massacre the Cardinals. So if the game script does go south, that's where we have the concern with Rojo. If the game script goes south for Jacksonville, uh, Robinson's still out there catching checkdowns. How, how about Cordero Patterson, your boy? Oh man, putting it on me. I'm going to go with CPAT here. I think uh, in this situation, we have similar players like CPAT. He's not been getting the targets in recent weeks. He's kind of evolved to this early down grinder almost. And that's kind of what we're expecting Rojo to be. Difference is Rojo going against the Panthers. Not a great defense, but not an atrocious one like the Lions that CPAT happens to be facing. So I got Patterson, but they're right there in the same tier. All right, I'll give you one more. How about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I would still go with Rojo. CEH, man, he's still like in this kind of committee with Daryl Williams. Like, you know, when you look at it week after week after week, maybe with this matchup, Steelers, league worst, yards before contact per rush allowed. And obviously, you know, with Kelsey and Hill potentially out, it makes sense that they run the ball more. But, you know, how many week after week, we're just hoping that they finally start using the freaking dude they drafted in the first round. And you look at the box score and it's like, you can't get over three catches uh, no matter what. So I would go with Rojo. Nice. Uh, one of the things I, I think you do as good a job as anyone, probably in the fantasy community, uh, you know, you, you're very similar to the, the man I work for in the engagement game on Twitter uh, and stirring up that engagement, you know, whether it be clips, movie clips, or whatever <laughs> you're pulling out. But you're, you're, you, you, I don't want to call it a bit, but it is a bit that you have going this year is, is the zhish bit, you know. And, and, and yeah, how, I was going to get you. How does it sound in your head when you say it? Sheesh. It's, yeah. uh, this is where it actually started, man. Like, cause apparently like on TikTok, people are now saying like sheesh all the time. So I, I don't know. Like I, I've had a couple people at me and they're like, did you start this whole sheesh trend? Like I, when I first really, I knew the word existed, but like five or maybe like five years ago or whatever, like LeBron would just post these Instagrams where we like, man, all that vino last, that last night with my boys, like way too much wine. Sheesh. And he just kind of go with that. So me and my buddies just started kind of like, you know, every time we drink red wine, it's like once some sheesh and kind of evolved from there. And yeah, so now whenever there's kind of a beyond the box score, you know, wide receivers open deep, uh, maybe he drops it, maybe he's overthrown, maybe, you know, uh, there's a holding that nullifies a touchdown. Things that like you won't see coming over the box score the next day. So now a sheesh alert, spew, whatever the hell is on my mind at the moment and uh, get in, get out. So some people, you know, tell me it's funny. I'll send them out and I always get like one reply. It's like, oh, I, I always love these. They're so great. Another one's like, I literally unfollowed you specifically for these tweets. So, you know what? Hey, Hate them or love them, like there is a purpose to them. Like I'm trying to keep track of these, uh, you know, again, beyond the box score moments. And, uh, you know, I do find it helpful for myself. So I'm going to keep doing it. If you don't like it, unfollow me. I don't give a shit. 
That's the, I mean, but that's the antithesis of a great bit, right? That fine line of love and yeah. hate. That thin <laughs> line. Like that's, uh, so it, that's how you know it's working because you're engaging both sides. They love, uh, you, they, they love you one week, they hate you the next. Just make sure you get paid both weeks. So is the most sheesh player DK Metcalf? Oh, man. Definitely recently, man. I think the Eagles and Jalen Hurts probably had it for a while. Like Goddard, when he was running uh, dry for a while, like it was rough and you know Hertz had that like Jalen Rager drop game like it was getting bad there for a bit with the Eagles but over these past two weeks man my goodness because Metcalf should have had three touchdowns like a week ago it would have been two touchdowns because he mm-hmm. has one he has one nullified he roasts a corner on his sluggo and he gets like called for a DPI but could have been one Russ goes right back to him sails a slant so mm-hmm. you know could have been two touchdowns last week and man Jalen Ramsey can rock that cradle all he wants. I love Ramsey. I think he's the best cornerback in the league. But Metcalf was beating him like a drum for most of that game. The fact that, you know, Russ couldn't get him a ball when he's, again, two bad beats on Ramsey on double moves. And then that one I think everyone saw where Metcalf literally just runs straight by the guy downfield. It's a shame, man. And um, one of the cool stats that I think, like this, the whole kind of thing with Shisha's too, I want to be able to save myself and hopefully save other ones where when we look at like Metcalf last week and you see, you know, oh, 11 targets, he only caught four of them. Like, mm-hmm. come on, DK, play a better game. I want to avoid that because as we know, you know, it's not always on this wide receiver. I've had to live in an era when people tried to attribute the Browns terrible offense to Odo Beckham. Like that's the type of shit that we have to deal with out here, <laughs> uh, man. So like one cool stat that my um, coworker and, you know, he's always on the podcast with me Dwayne McFarlane brought up using some of the cool PFF tracking data we have is basically you know these are the guys with where NFL defensive coordinators design double or help coverage most often for these offensive players Devontae Adams on 27 and a half percent of the snaps makes sense and in second place DK Metcalf at 26 and a half like look at that guy he's so big he's so fast he can go up and get it man I think even his route running at this point is underrated like he's I think defenses are so scared about him running past them that he's actually capable underneath intermediate areas of the field as well. So let's just be careful when we're talking about Metcalf, you know, dudding over these past six weeks, because man, if this carries over into 2022 and we can get him at a discount, sign me up. Cause Metcalf, man, he is still one of the best wide receivers in the game. Yeah. It's been, it's been frustrating the past couple of weeks, you know, trying to buy in on this bounce back, especially in DFS. Uh, I've been going down this train and luckily they moved that game. So I didn't you have to go both, crazy. <laughs> so I have to go crazy last week. They moved him off the main state, but he's back on this week, you know, against the bears team that has been very exploitable down the field. So I'm yeah. going to go back to it. This Let's week. go. Let's go. Uh, and back this is the week. But he's going to be a great conversation this summer, especially if Ross leaves and we don't know yeah. what the quarterback situation is too, because I feel like him and Arthur Juan, there's been the conversation has now moved to like, were these guys now overrated? when they're clearly just absolute demons yeah, uh, and like, you know, because the production wasn't there, the fan, they were drafted highly fantasy production was there. That's just a year after DK basically won people a bunch of, a bunch of stuff. Uh, and AJB was unbelievable. <laughs> AJB has been like, you look at yours per out run. He's still been a top seven, eight receiver this year. He had like a three week stretch where he was absolutely balling and, People like, all right, the two things that annoy me, like we need to figure out kind of a better dictonomy for like calling people bus because right. you can bust because you suck. You can bust because you get hurt. You can maybe do something shitty off the field, but then even off the field, man, like did the guy beat someone up or did the guy like party too much? So I just really wish that we weren't putting all these different situations that can really ruin a person's reputation, both personally and professionally under the same freaking word bust yeah it's very nebulous uh, in the fantasy community i've always liked it as like a dude that just like just sits on, like alan robbins to me is a bust because you bust. literally yeah. you held him for 10 weeks too like he so he ate a roster spot you couldn't start him but you held out hope that you could start him so he's on your roster still and <laughs> you end up not, and at the end of the day you don't use him still and then yeah. like to me like that's by my definition, but everyone obviously is scorned in their own different, their different ways. Like uh, is Cam Akers a bust? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and like a lot of those guys too, that got hurt, like, you know, injury bust too. So it's, Sucks, and there's going to be some real great conversations this off season. Saquon Barkley will be another great conversation <sighs> out of him too. We're not going to talk about Saquon this week. We're just leaving where he is. Too much, too much pain. Yeah, yeah. Is this, is this the week? Uh, you are the, the, the fantasy candle maker. Uh, you, you, right. you, you know, uh, you're the candle man. Uh, so can we get a wick lit? Is this the week <laughs> that Miles Sanders scores a touchdown? 
I freaking hope so, man. I, uh, when Jacoby was going through that long stretch, I remember like three times in the week, I tweeted out like, you know, this is the week Jacoby Myers scores a touchdown. And, uh, obviously it didn't work out. It's only worked out once this year. And I remember a couple of weeks later, uh, tweeting someone, something, some trolls like, man, screw this hard. It's got like, he tried to say Myers was going to score a touchdown a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, Oh my God, like this is, this is the thing that's going to take me down now. So with miles, man, Oh my, it's 180, I think 180 scoreless touches this year. Next closest guy is at 75. I was equating, um, you know, you, you were saying before, I like to use some movie clips uh, to send out some tweets. You know, I was equating like Miles Sanders, like asking Jalen Hurts if maybe he could score a touchdown on the goal line to like when Cal Norton like asked Ricky Bobby, like, hey man, you know, could I win one of uh, these races? And Ricky's like, well, if you win, like, how am I going to win, man? Like second, nothing wrong with silver. So that's really what's been going on with Miles Sanders. But at some point, man, you would like to think it's going to happen. And at least at this point, we're seeing it where Sanders has a usable floor if it doesn't happen. Over 100 yards in back-to-back weeks. Still a lot of Jordan Howard. But I think sometimes, uh, particularly, you know, when we're kind of on more of a macro view, and I get it, it's percentages and rates, uh, I think, give us a better historical um matchups and able ability to compare players but we need to consider too like you know a 30 percent target rate in the eagles offense is not the same as a 30 percent target rate in the bills offense and i think that goes to sanders where yeah normally particularly with the russian quarterback seeing this split backfield he has with jordan howard and kenneth gamewell stealing a few snaps here or there like no it's not ideal but when we have the league's most run heavy offense and they keep sanders a little bit involved in the passing game as well uh you know 50 percent of that offense is probably better than 80 percent of the Bills offense uh, from a running back perspective. So I think for Sanders, he's still kind of, I'd say low end RB2, you know, probably rank him 22nd to like 25th, something around there. Uh, and in DFS, man, I'm fine to get back on that horse because I think we know Jalen Hurts is like a thousand dollars too cheap on DraftKings. All it takes for is one of these games is for Sanders to actually be the guy that takes it in instead of Hurts at the end. And there's your multi touchdown upside. So hasn't been here for 15 weeks, but maybe just maybe, man, week 16, we get our Miles Sanders and DK Metcalf popping off. You know, that's a great point you bring up about, you know, team target shares and backfield touches last week. Miles Sanders had 57% of the Eagles' backfield touches, which was 21st among all running backs. But he had 20 total touches, which was 12th among yeah. all running backs. Uh, totally different share. This is a team that's run for, you know, a lot of people have probably heard the stat. They've run for 175 yards in eight straight games, seven Ooh. straight games. That's the most since the 85 Chicago Bears, uh, the longest <laughs> such streak. They lead the NFL in RPO runs by, by a mile. Uh, and, like, that's why Jalen Hurts is, like, such key. Like, like, a lot of people are, you know, suggesting well could Minshew take the job but the RPO run game is such a big part of their offense that they want to keep that you know moving forward uh at least I believe at least for the remainder of this season the interesting thing about Sanders is he entered this year being like the running back that had the longest average length of rushing touchdown and we haven't had that long one where he's like he's had a couple he flirted with it on Tuesday where you know he gets that 60 yarder I miss the guy that's got you know touchdown runs of what 82 yards 75 65 yards under his belt so maybe was trying to take them away from him man that's my least favorite analysis you know take away his 380 oh yeah now he's only averaging this so we don't unless it's um who was it (laughs) Who was uh, it? Was like below Powell when he like literally he got like a seventy yard touch. Uh, maybe it was Isaiah Crawford. Where everyone thought those, he was tackled. Everyone thought everyone Bilal thought, Powell was tackled, so they stopped on the play, and he ran like seventy yards. If that happens, okay, we'll make an exception for that specific situation. But otherwise, they earned the touchdown, just like you know shouldn't hold the negative plays. Like yeah. you need to hold negative plays against them. Don't hold the positive ones. I've never gotten that. You know, it's early, early maybe in my fantasy now. Spirit, it's like, oh man, yeah. He, he relied on this one play, but it's like, yeah, he's capable of doing that play. Like right. that it's should stay on Barkley's pre 2021 entire career, pretty much. So, uh, you know, I brought this up last week and it ended up striking out again last week uh, when I had Matthew Freeman on and, you know, we talked about going back to the well with Dak Prescott and then the struggles once again, you know, c- kind of continued. He's been lower than the QB 20 in the last three games. He did complete a season high, you know, amount of passes, 76%. Uh, it wasn't a season high, but it was his highest uh, over the past few weeks. But he had just a six-yard A dot, so it was like the completion rate doesn't matter. Uh, just 5.9 yards per pass attempt. Uh, his third straight game with a touchdown or fewer. But objectively, Dallas has a huge team total. Washington is still a defense we've kind of picked on. Jalen Hurts just lit them up again, uh, you know, under COVID elements. Um, you know, the definition of insanity is definitely in play here. But, you know, if I, I, I have Dak Prescott League. 
Am I crazy to just keep starting him? I think it's fine to drop him in the ranks, but, you know, not top five or top six ranked quarterback anymore. That's fair, but I still think he'd be hard-pressed to name 12 or 13 more, like Dak versus Taysom Hill, Dak versus Russ. Like, I'm taking Dak over those guys eight days of the week, man, particularly in this spot. So what's been wild with Dak is, like, early on in the year, we had the huge game against Tampa and, you know, you look back at what he was doing in 2020. It was like, my God, he's going to throw the ball 50 times a week. This is going to be great. But when Zeke and Pollard were healthy and both balling, like during 2021, there was a period where Zeke looked very good and was, you know, averaging a healthy amount of yards per carry alongside Pollard. Obviously those days have gone for Zeke and with Pollard being banged up, Dax actually regained that passing volume that he was struggling to hit in the first six weeks of the year. He was just being really efficient on 22, 25 uh, pass attempts. So I've seen the splits with the cap injury, man. It is rough weeks one through six, 8.4 yards per attempt weeks, nine through 15, just 6.5 PFF passing grades gone from 87.6 to 69.2. With that said, Cap injury is one part. A lot of that split, though, doesn't have Tyron Smith. We had, you know, Cooper out of the lineup for a bit. CeeDee Lamb gets concussed against the Chiefs. Gallup just came back a few weeks ago. There's been a lot going on. I know Tyron is still a bit of a question mark, but when you have each of Gallup, CD, Cooper together at once, man, I feel like we don't even need the best version of Dak necessarily to get a true explosion game. So uh, they have been on the road here for quite a bit now, so they get to go back home to Jerry World. I'm not a huge believer in home and away splits, but if there is someone that applies to man, it is Amari Cooper and the things he's been able to do uh, in Dallas. So Cooper, since he has come back, I think from the COVID list, you know, his conditioning seems fine. I'm not a conditioning expert by any uh, stretch, but his routes are back to what they were before. And man, just seeing him, particularly in that first Washington game, I saw more deuce after the catch with him, I think, than we had all year. Because we forget how all those, you know, lower body injuries that Cooper was playing through during the first half of the year. So for me, Cooper, Dak, I'm going back to well based on, you know, just I think the best could still be to come for them and then for CeeDee Lamb man just a matter of time for him to still have this high of a floor during his quote-unquote downstretch has been great to see but they're now using him as their full-time uh, slot receiver ever since Gallup has come back. And you look at Washington, single oh, yeah. worst defense and receptions allowed in the slot, third most receiving yards. Uh, I think Dak, Cooper, CD, go Gallup in there, Schultz, you know, whoever. Anyone you can get in the league's second-best scoring offense, I think makes sense. So, yeah, we've seen a downstretch, but after the Buccaneers got blank last week, man, what offense hasn't had a downstretch this year? So just the fact they've shown that sky-high ceiling is enough for me to go back to the low. Speaking of a, an offense that has given us some weird stretches this season, uh, it has a tough outlook on paper this week. You know, how concerned are you if you've got Josh Allen this week? Ooh, it's been rough against New England, man. He hit the week 16 game last year, 320 yards, four touchdowns, you know, complete world beater, Josh Allen, runner up MVP mode. Other than that, though, in their five matchups, like I don't even think he's hit 225 passing yards once. Here's the thing, though, man. Even before Josh became a great real-life quarterback in 2020, he was still a fantasy stud. And the last, you know, last month of his rookie year, I think he was the overall QB one. 2019, he comes in, finishes QB six, QB seven, and this year, I believe he's the overall QB one right now. Even though it's been a roller coaster week to week, depending on, uh, you know, if you're gonna get the really good one, the 2020 version of Josh, or the one that thinks that you know any throw is possible from any point on the field and starts to ring up some more of those mistakes. So beyond all that. The guy runs so much and he's their freaking goal line running back. So he just, you know, continues to put up uh, all sorts of fantasy points in the league's most pass heavy offense. So, yeah, you know, it's not ideal going up against Belichick, but when is it ideal? I still think Josh is going to be hard to, you know, rank more than four quarterbacks ahead of despite the tough matchup, because again, you just can't, especially with Lamar banged up right now. Like I don't know if there's just like a more fantasy friendly quarterback than Josh in terms of pure volume. Yeah, I'm real curious to see, too, throughout the week where his DFS kind of ownership comes in because, yep. you know, he, he's definitely at low points against good defenses. Uh, you know, he's he's faced six top EPA uh, defenses in the top 12 so far this season, and he's only thrown for 6.2 yards per game or more just once in one of those games. And that's removing the Patriots win game because I stripped that game that messed from, up. from yeah. everything. But <laughs> he's been a top four, uh, top six score in four of those six games, though. So uh, he still finds a way to get there. So, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit of trepidation. You don't expect a 35-point Josh Allen game, right. but uh, definitely a, a big window where you don't need to go out and say, like, I'm going to talk myself out of Josh Allen and I'm no. going to stream for him. Please, it's, no. <laughs> it's, it's not a great streaming week this week. But 
we have a kind of a surge on Justin Fields. Now we have a little bit of this kind of, you know, it's fall this ankle news and see how that comes about yeah. out. But uh, I mean, are, are you in on, on streaming Justin Fields this week and kind of what's the, the cutoff line uh, on someone you'd play him over? I'll give you some names afterwards, but give me the Justin Fields take right now, because you are a, a Columbus sub up. You're from Columbus. So yes, give me the yes, breakdown uh, of, uh, of Justin Fields this season well, and how, how he's finishing the year. You know, myself and I think plenty of others and, you know, the Fields, Trey Lance hoopla, like it was all based on just like the idea that, okay, this is a top, I think Fields was 11th overall. So high first round quarterback that historically we've seen them get on the field sooner rather than later. Trey Lance is going to, you know, be an exception up there with like Jake Locker in terms of quarterbacks that just really didn't play much at all during their first season. So, you know, we see exceptions happen, but, uh, you know, not something that we now need to completely reverse course in the future. But anyway, with Fields, man, like we saw a quarterback. He freaking runs a 4-4. He was averaging over 35 rushing yards per game at Ohio State. Looked like, you know, despite because of Matt Nagy's best efforts, he wasn't a week one starter, but I think it was fair to assume he would be, uh, you know, back in April over the freaking Red Rocket. Like, come on, guys. So with all that in mind, he hit, he checked all the boxes of what we've seen from past QB1. So there's only been, I think, seven rookie QB1 since 2010. It was like Luck, Dak, Russ, RG3, Kyler, um, a couple other guys and Justin Herbert and the main big um, comparisons, the commonalities between them were being a week one starter and averaging that 25 rushing yards per game in college and fields comes out and he just doesn't run for the first like four weeks. And I think a lot of that had to do with Nagy. A lot of it had to do with fields, you know, having a slow processing time, which we've seen this time to release both in college and now in the NFL, but at least over the past five weeks, he's not a polished real life quarterback yet, but again, We've just talked about this with Josh Allen. You don't need to be a good real-life quarterback to be a great fantasy quarterback as long as you run, and that is what Fields has finally started to bring to the table. So to your point, yeah, let's make sure that ankle is okay because this could impact Fields much more than, you know, say a pocket passer. But last five games, QB3, QB9, dud, QB29, and then QB8 and QB10. That last game, man, as bad as that was, as many horrific sacks as we saw him take, took a sack on a freaking screen pass for crying out loud. He still (laughs) finished as the QB 10 because now he is able to pick up some yards in garbage time and he still got the rushing. So, I mean, the fact that Zach, like Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, the most disappointing part of them for me has been just them. They can't even put up numbers in garbage time, man. Like, only have what since week nine trevor lawrence has one passing touchdown zach wilson has two and i know jets fans wilson has ran a few times but come on we, we should not be having any sort of split where these guys have as many passing touchdowns as their draft position like this should not be a reality so for fields man he is someone that i have right there as you know qb 12 i believe right now in the uh, first set of the ranks where i'm putting him in that qb1 conversation because the matchup more than winnable you know against seattle and i just think that again based on him having one of the more fancy friendly skill sets we could ask for. I am going to start him ahead of, you know, a lot of these, you know, QB2, Jimmy Garoppolo, pocket passer types, and maybe even someone like Taysom Hill, who, yeah, he has the rushing, but so does Fields. And I think we all know, you know, which passing game, as bad as Chicago can be, uh, has more upside. So maybe it's Saints 32, Bears 31, but I would take uh, that Bears passing game over the current state of New Orleans. Yeah, so a couple of names I'll throw out here for you that maybe some people have a conundrum with uh, and maybe their pocket passes. What about uh, Justin Fields or Kirk Cousins this week? Probably getting Thielen back, but I still lean, I still lean Fields, man. I still lean Fields. Because, hey, I'm talking to Konami, uh, you know, Swami Konami. What, how's it freaking go? <laughs> yeah, the, the Swami of Konami. <laughs> I'm talking to Swami of Konami himself, man. Like, come on, give me Fields. Yeah. Uh, all right. How about uh, Joe Burrow, who's been on a little bit of a oh. fantasy slide? Okay. I got to go Burrow ahead. I just think this is like his matchup. He's like the best quarterback against the Blitz and the entire NFL yards per attempt, PFF mm-hmm. passing grade. And Ravens, man, like uh, this is another thing Dwayne and I were talking about on our uh, preview pod, like the Ravens have lost all their corners and they haven't changed like their defense. They're still like, you know what? We, we wake up, we go to bed, we play man to man and we do it more than pretty much anyone else. Like, man, they couldn't shut down this. They couldn't even come close to slowing down this Bengals offense when they were healthy. I don't know what's going to happen now. So I have Burrow um, top 10 this week. Yeah, I'm high on Burrow too. It's it's interesting. To, it's going to be interesting to see how they defend that game and how Zach Taylor calls that game, especially after last week if they threw five first down pass passes. already, man. What yeah, are we freaking throw doing? Rock, baby. They threw – um, this is from uh, PFF Mike, Mike Renner, where they, they – 
had like 11 first downs in the second half, and they ran the ball on 10 of them. The only yeah. one that run the ball, 58-yard touchdown. They had 22 first down play calls last week, and they, they threw on five of them. Burrow was four or five for 83 yards and a touchdown. Come on. Uh, He's, he's third in the NFL in yards for pass attempt on first downs, uh, 31st in rate of passes on first down. Uh, kind of got it. I kind of got it in the first month of the year. He's coming back from the knee surgery. Yeah. You want to protect him? Fine, whatever. But it's week 15, man. What are we doing? Yeah, well, especially if you're not running well like they have it the last three weeks. That's yeah, exactly. It's one thing when you're racking up racking up yards and you're saying you stick with the run game, that's fine. This was, man, <laughs> like, you know, I mentioned before missing on Tyler Boyd. Like, one of the reasons I loved Tyler Boyd this year was because he looked at it last year, man. Burrow was number one in dropbacks before getting hurt. He had hit 35 or more pass attempts, eight of 10 games, and nine. He was at 34 before he got hurt against Washington. He's only hit that mark four times this year. Three of them came in losses that, okay, we expect them negative game script to have to work their way back into it. The one other time he did it was against this Ravens defense where they blew them out. Maybe, just maybe, Zach Taylor understands against this Ravens defense. (laughs) Burrow needs to cook, but I could also just be galaxy bringing it. Yeah, I'm curious to see how the Ravens approach it too because, you know, they blitz Burrow. Uh, the third highest rate in the league that week in week seven when they played and Burrow absolutely eviscerated <laughs> them. Uh, but since that point, only Patrick Mahomes has been been, been blitzed at a lower rate than Joe oh, Burrow. Okay. So I'm curious ways, to see yeah. if they, yeah, a lot of people I think saw that as the kind of the linchpin of like, let's not blitz that guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, deck, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, I'm curious to see if the Ravens can get out of this. I'll give you one more. And it's a counterpart in that game, Justin Fields or Russell Wilson. Fields. I can't, I can't, can't with Russ, man. I mean, we're not even getting pull up his numbers now, but like with Russ, I remember two years ago, we saw the rushing really go down. And last year it actually came up a little mm-hmm. bit, but yeah, he's only had 12.8 rushing yards per game. That's his lowest ever. What are we doing here? Like he's not passing enough, but at least we used to have a rushing floor. Now the rushing floor is gone and now the passing efficiency is gone, man. It's brutal. So hopefully Tyler Lockett's back. But at this point, like we're hoping that Russ not only like improves the efficiency, but he once again has his back against the wall trying to make the most out of limited passing volume. So uh, no, yeah. Give me fields, man. What yeah. I'm real curious about Russ from this point on the rest of his career, if he's not going to run because he's kind of shown us it's the way he plays the style. He plays the position. Like he doesn't yeah. like a lot of these underneath throws. Like he doesn't no. take them. And this offense was, was built in for that. Like they brought in Shane Waldron to play with tempo and, and, and design some of this more and stuff. And you, you, we've all seen the clips over the past few weeks of him bypassing a lot of open underneath receivers to take these downfield shots. I wonder how he's going to progress, you know, whether he stays or moves on. Uh, if maybe he was also had his you know hand in the jar here with some of the issues Seattle's had yeah. this season and not unscathed. Uh, Maybe not just a Justin Fields versus question, but assuming that uh, we don't get Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill back, and it's an assumption at this point, but what do we do with Patrick Mahomes, a player that has already given us a lot of floor weeks uh, with both of those guys on the field over the past you know, six, seven weeks? If he doesn't have both of those guys, how are you going to handle Patrick Mahomes? I, I would move him down, but QB8, QB9 at the absolute most, like, you know, that's I'm drawing the line like there pretty much. We can't have like a Fields Mahomes conversation. Okay. I still think it's uh, that point. But guys like, you know, Herbert, Kyler, Josh Allen, Rogers, Stafford, Jalen Hurts, Brady, maybe Burrow. What about Burrow? A, I was going to say, all right. That's the tough one. So I I think I would still just lean Mahomes. Because at least Mahomes, man, we have he has like 50-yard rushing upside mm-hmm. in his, uh, you know, in his toolbox. And I'm not quite sure uh, we're getting there. With Burrow. So maybe that last week, because hey, for the last six, seven weeks, man, it's been the Raiders that he kills, and everyone else has been rough except for that Chargers game. So I still have quarter. my <laughs> right, the fourth quarter. And it was Tyreek and Kelsey just going nuclear. Like we always knew that yeah. was a possibility. Um, you know, one of the things I think we've talked about a lot on our PFF uh, Sunday show, which is always at 11 um, a.m. in the morning, where it's like the best version of this Chiefs offense, if you want to just look at the entire Mahomes 
kind of time there. I think it was in that 2020 playoff run, 2019 playoff run, excuse me, when we actually had Sammy Watkins playing up like to the level of his contract. Like we know Hill is great and Kelsey is great. And it's, you know, when you have Andy Reid design the plays and Mahomes doing what he does, uh, you know, 90% of the defense in the league can't take away both those guys. But the few that can, we've seen them not be able to get Miko going, not be able to get Clyde going as a receiver. And they've been missing that third option. They tried to bring in Josh Gordon. So the brief time where Sammy, and look at that playoff run, man, he was clearing 100 almost every week or at least finishing pretty close to doing it. When they have that third option that can just win one-on-one when the defense is doubling Kelsey and Hill, that's the best version of the squad and it kind of makes you wonder man if they could have gotten someone like a Juju Smith-Schuster who I'm not you know the highest on Juju or anything but if he's your number three receiver like that's fine so um, I do wonder if they're going to be able to kind of fix that hole probably not this year uh, but into the future so that's my long way of saying uh, with that Chargers game not necessarily sold on it but maybe we do see uh, Mahomes back to at least you know giving us something more like Josh Allen where even in the weeks where he's not being the best version of his real life self at least we're still looking at a fantasy QB one. And to be fair to Mahomes, man, as bad as this year has gone, like to still see his fantasy numbers overall uh, where they are, it, kind of, it is kind of a testament to uh, what life is like in that Chiefs offense. Yeah. And in the context of the league, I mean, even the Chiefs, you know, as much conversation we've had about the Chiefs offense throughout the year, they're like number one and basically a ton of things. Like right. <laughs> still, even because the context of the year, it's been a low scoring NFL season yeah. in general. So they're still kind of uh, sitting there. You know, a lot of people think about they compare the Chiefs to old Chiefs instead of the Chiefs versus the current league. Right. And, and they're still fine. They're still, yeah. they're still number one in all these efficiency metrics as an offense. You know, the great thing about fantasy football is, you have these guys at Cooper Cup that win people leagues over the course of the season. They're smashes, but we all know it's about roster management throughout the course of the season. We have like some some heroes that come out every year during this stretch of the season and help people win fantasy leagues, whether it be you know Brashad Perriman a couple of years ago or Tim Hightower. And we have a pair of receivers in this Atlanta Detroit game that are doing it right now for people. And Russell Gage, who I believe everyone's starting at this point, anyways, and the sun god Amon Ross St. Brown. Everyone's <laughs> gonna play Gage this week, but I want to get your take on uh the sun god. If there's no Jared Goff, how much should we trust a David Blau or Tim Boyle? Uh, please don't be Boyle uh, playing uh, with him because uh, he's been a, a really nice PPR Gibraltar here the past three weeks. Yeah, just real quick on Gage, man. The fa- like the fact that he's winning on the outside, like contested catches and stuff, is crazy to me. Like, oh, he's well, he was a former balling. DB. He was a cornerback in college. Oh, I didn't realize that, but I just, you know, I, I could have seen him just getting peppered in the slot and this and that, you know, oh, okay. It's the Falcons. They suck comeback mode, and, but he is like just winning over like fine enough corners, but it's been really impressive to see what Gage uh, has done this year. You know, obviously the numbers are there, but you know, we see some empty numbers sometimes and that's not what Gage has been doing, but to the sun God, of course, man, like Tim Boyle was so brutal in that first game. I get it, but I'm old enough to remember when he was slinging that thing for the Packers in the preseason a little bit. So I think my bigger, I mean, that, that, that is the chief concern golf or Boyle, but we also need to keep in mind if DeAndre Swift comes back, man, he did return to practice. That's going to eat into a lot of those underneath targets that Monra has been feasting on because during this stretch, man, yeah, he's been getting fed, but his role, you know, in terms of being a starting receiver, like, isn't any different. It's not like he just got thrown out there into the starting lineup. That's been the case virtually all season long. Not having Hawkinson and not having Swift has not really given them anyone else to dump the ball down to other than Amon Ross St. Brown. So, obviously, you know, matchup for both of these guys is, you know, fantastic Lions versus Falcons. Uh, but I do wonder if Swift comes back if we see Amon Ra take a slight step back and be more of, you know, a 1B as opposed to the, you know, surefire 1A that he's been. With that said, man, you know, I still think he is locked and loaded as, you know, we'll say like upside wide receiver three. You know, I know you got Russell Gage locked in top 20, which, man, a <laughs> little, little aggressive. But, you know, I do agree with you that he should be started in a more lineups than not. So I wouldn't, you know, I do, certainly would take Gage over um, Amon Ross St. Brown with or without uh, Jared Goff in the situation. If Goff is able to play, though, man, I do think he's going to warrant that top 30 consideration. You know, him probably over some of these, you know, Michael Gallup, your Mike Williams of the world where like, particularly on like DraftKings and just full PPR scoring. I think we have almost like upside a little bit backwards. Like why would we want someone like Mike Williams who like, okay, 
four catches, maybe he can get you 90 yards. When someone like a Monroe St. Brown, it's almost better that it takes him eight catches to get to 90 yards because then you're getting all those extra sweet, sweet, sweet PPR points. So, uh, you know, just because you're a smaller slot receiver, and I know in this case they're not white slot receivers, but like we saw this with Cole Beasley last year. It's like just because of what he looks like, we don't expect him to have these boom weeks, but then you look at the 100, you know, yard game leaderboard and you see the guy up there. So um, kind of just the idea that these slot receivers don't possess the boom potential and full point PPR scoring. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's exactly true. No, no, I love that. Uh, I, I have Amon Ra as an inflection point uh, where I'm deciding. Are, are you going to play either of those guys over Terry McLaurin at this point? Yes, both. Yeah, we're I mean, here. Yeah, sad, but we're here. And is. DJ Moore, probably. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was going to ask about DJ Moore too. I mean, it's crazy. I really think of, when I think of Terry McLaurin, I think of that. Goodwill hunting clip of, you know, Robin Williams (laughs) holding Matt Damon. Both those guys though, like (laughs) we had, we had Andre Johnson just, obviously you know hall of fame receiver and everything but you look at his quarterback list and it's just one horrific name after another with all due respect to matt shop but then after andre it's like alan robinson we all know his brutal quarterbacks going back to college now we got terry mclaurin and dj moore unfortunately battling it out to be the next guy but we might just need to put them both there man maybe that's our mount rushmore andre johnson a rob dj moore terry mclaurin get these guys a freaking qb already it's been tough man it's been tough especially because dj moore we had the tease like the first month it looked like it was all like great and then Darnold turned back to the Darnold and uh that's bad they're they're actually they're 31st in the NFL and EPA per pass it's gross uh more than um, that top 20 finish since week yeah. four man like I thought there would at least be a boom in there at some point it's sad man it's it's been really painstakingly hard uh for some of these receivers down the stretch here uh that we know inherently are good football players uh it's been rough man and they haven't been uh points uh yeah we're, we're up against here I'll bring it home here uh do you have a star player that you think lets people down uh, in the semifinals this week? I could see it being Antonio Brown. Dude hasn't played in a long time. We think he's going to be back to his full-time role, but they're also 11-point favorites, man. Like maybe this is a game where Brady only has to throw the ball 20, 25 times, and AB just is good but not great, you know. And again, a tough matchup against Stephon Gilmore. And, uh, you know, we would all like – we look at these situations when players go down, and, you know, I think it's a lot harder to assume at the wide receiver position that uh, now we're just going to see all the targets funneled to uh, these few guys. So – yeah, I think uh, I, I can see how it works out. But, you know, looking, especially tournament-wise, again, please start Antonio Brown. I swear to God, if someone comes <laughs> to me and they're like, oh, Ian, I benched AV because of you, uh, that's not going to be it. When I, when I look in uh, tournaments, man, all of these great values, you know, around the 5K range and AB just out of it at 4.9K, I think we're going to see the heavy majority of lineups just really taking all that value or, you know, going just off, guys. So if you really want to try to get contrarian to some of these tournaments and Great quote that I always try to remind myself of from Matthew Friedman, who you said was on the show uh, last week, you know, in some throwaway line he wrote in like this, because I used to work with Matt at Fantasy Labs. It was like oh, he's a, the best, man. Oh, yeah, man. It was like a week 14, like running back breakdown or something like 2016 but he had the quote and you know i'm gonna drop an f-bomb here so earmuffs everyone but he goes <laughs> contrarianism isn't a license to be a fucking moron and that's what we need to remember with a lot of this so just because you know it's a tournament doesn't mean we can just go out here and do anything with that said i think there's enough value in the lower you know sub 4k range at wide receiver with tyler johnson you know maybe zay jones depending on if he's good to go you know nico collins gross but we have some actual guys that should be seeing five plus targets down there I think you can just set your lineup apart from people if you go cheap at wide receiver and then you really pay up at running back. You know, go get your Joe Mixons, your Najee Harris's, your Cordero Patterson's of the world who we know they can all get 20 touches and do a lot of those things. But everyone is so focused on, I think, that five to six K range that, again, just doing more of a stars and scrubs approach this week, I think will help set your lineup apart. I love it. Love it. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're supposed to give me a star there, not someone that people are full of like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I know you don't really do the helicopter bit anymore on Twitter, uh, but you know, I do need uh, you to bring it back and, 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 <laughs> and give us, I can't have you on and not get a week 16 semifinal Ian Hart, it's helicopter play. Maybe I should bring it back and just deal with everyone calling me an idiot based on one single pick. I guess my thing with it's our life, man. That's our life. I know. I just set myself up wrong. Like this is something that even (laughs) at my best, you know, I hit like like thirty percent of them or something like that. Like that's terrible, man. Give myself a fifty-fifty chance or something um, like that. So I'm gonna go with. 
let's go with Javante uh, mm. for the Broncos, you know, matchup against the Raiders, bottom three defense, fantasy points per game allowed to running backs. You know, they already feed enough volume to this backfield um, throughout the season, you know, with Teddy under center. Now with Drew Locke, like, are we sure they're going to let him drop back even once uh, in this game? So, you know, Javante obviously got the broken tackle numbers. And even though Melvin is every best involved, I think Melvin's a solid play too. We have seen Javante start to take over more on pass downs and just slightly ahead overall and snaps. So if we can, you know, even turn those like 12 to 15, touches per game into 20 because some good game script against the Raiders and you know again the potential would just be more and more um on the run game I think Javante and or Melvin makes sense and stacking with that uh Broncos D baby get that RB DST uh correlation I don't think Vic's gonna want Drew Locke throwing the ball a ton this weekend uh I know uh that, that I didn't put this on the show sheet or anything but let me ask you one more question because you yeah. kind of were the the ghost whisperer this year CPAT came out and the team's <laughs> using him like we envisioned they would you know seven years ago Duke Johnson comes yeah, out of the buddy. grave has career highs last week who is the uh the last guy like you're holding on to like hope for that you hope that like, you know that like Ian's just holding on to this guy it's uh, Drew Locke man let's go yeah. this is how it all <laughs> This is how the circle completes itself. So with these guys, like, it's funny, you you know, I've had um, underdog will send out these tweets and they're like, oh, you know, only 50 rosters had Duke Johnson. I've seen people like, oh, I hearted must have had all of them. Uh, I wish. No, that's not the case, because I really try to separate, you know, my personal feelings of some of these players and fantasy. I want to be objective and, you know, not put the fandom into it. So for someone like Cordero Patterson, man, like I just again, I talked earlier about hating the idea of bust. And I feel like people were saying that about him. The best kick returner in NFL history and someone that has repeatedly been so efficient with the ball in his hands as a rusher. Um, I didn't I, I never saw the idea that he could be considered a bust. Now, did I expect the Falcons to feature him as their RB1? No, I thought after he had a few good weeks that he was a great sell high, but changed the role and that happened. And then with Duke Johnson, man, I don't think people should be playing him this week because Miles Gaskin <laughs> and Salvin Ahmed, like we heard their OC tell us, like they came back too late and they weren't conditioned enough to have their usual roles last week. So, you know, I would love to sit here and be like, oh yeah, these guys are going to freaking crush. Let's say Drew Locke's going to crush, but you know, my heart and my brain are two different things. And I try to, you know, get, get, get that figured out. So with Drew Locke, man, I love him because he is one of these few quarterbacks that can be bad, but can be entertainingly bad. Like last week, he should have given the ball on a read option. He keeps it for some reason. Makes yeah, the guy miss. Play is amazing then gets stripped, then runs down the dude, and then he strips the ball again, and none of it mattered. But then look at the last play of the game. Like, fourth and 30, he throws the ball out of bounds. Who the hell does that? Like, it's so bad. If you're a Broncos fan, like, I'm sorry, man, but I get these, uh, like, James – like. Drew Locke is like a, you know, lower middle-class man's like Jameis Winston, I think. So maybe oh, I like that. <laughs> something like that. So I would say Locke and then a lesser extents, Auden Tate contested catch maestro, but he's oh, on go. IR. So maybe just maybe, man, if we see something happen, Tyler Conklin, Chris Herndon, week 18 hero post-case breakout, <laughs> weird things have happened. Yeah, you know, CPAT, it's going to be, the, the dichotomy of CPAT is going to be interesting when his career ends because he basically is going to retire with that greatest kickoff returner in NFL history sure. in an era where they reduced the functionality of returning kickoffs. Like, <laughs> consistently throughout his career, they've tried to make it harder to return kickoffs. And he needs still- <laughs> one more, I think, to tie or break the record. I hope he gets it, man. Because, yeah, to your point, like, I don't think we're ever going to see so, – you know, we say this now, but I don't think based on these rules we're going to see someone put up these sort of bonkers numbers um, anytime soon. Yeah, he doesn't yeah, have probably. one yet this year. Yeah. Uh, he's had one each of the past three years because uh, he doesn't return any punts. I think he has a one-career punt return. Do you have a – do you know who the next generation's Cordero Patterson is, like the eighth-year breakout versatile offensive weapon who never figured it out? Because there is a correct answer. Or, like, before this? No, like, he's he's on a team right now. He's been disappointing. But give him, like, another six years to find the right system. <laughs> oh, another six? I mean, yeah. it's Rondell Moore probably now. But, no, uh, it's like um, – I'm Come trying on, to think – Yeah, go for it. I'll, I'll get me with LaVisca Chanel. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Rick yeah, tackles like a madman. He can do it all. Well, put him in the backfield. Six years from now when they realize he was a running back all along. Uh, yep, exactly. <laughs> the guy that's like 225 and breaking all these tackles, you know? I'm yeah, like, that was always my problem with Chenault uh, in the hype train that he's had. It's just Biska like, gets a two-year, $5 million yeah. deal with a bad Lions team. We make it through the draft, and we're like, well, they got this one running back, but then I guess Visca could be the guy, and then all of a sudden an injury happens, and now we're looking at 15 touches a game. 
<laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's gonna. I, I hope it doesn't happen to Rondo too. But I can see it. I can totally oh see it slapping. Uh, yeah, but I don't know, man. No, no, that's great. Those are great answers on the way out here. Uh, Ian, it was great to have you on. Let everyone know where they can find you still these last few weeks. What kind of work you've got going on? If there's anything we should know about at Pro Football Focus. Appreciate you having me on, man. I always enjoy talking ball with you. But yeah, check out uh, the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, you know, throughout the season. Um, I got a waiver show and I preview all the games with Dwayne McFarlane, DFS, and then we review all the games. And I like to have some great guests like Rich on throughout the way. Um, also, PFF.com, I got quarterback, running back, wide receiver columns out each and every week the mismatch manifesto which is my you know pride and joy where i really try to group everything together like basically my thing man is i know there's a ton you know yourself and you know just evan there's so many great fantasy football analysts out there but i would like to think that if there is someone out there that appreciates what i do i want to make sure that i can give them each and every bit of info that they need to be uh you know a winning fantasy player and hopefully maybe make some money uh, on the side gambling do whatever else you're doing so every single player takes a lot of words takes a lot of hours you know the the girlfriend everything isn't usually too pleased during the season uh but you know as i'm it's funny man like getting the week 16 i would love to be able to just i don't know not write twenty thousand plus words a week like maybe tone things down but like as i'm going through like i just physically can't stop myself from trying to cover um every actionable angle so bff.com uh to catch me on twitter at iheart it's and i uh, just know it's not me in the picture it's hunter s thompson being played <laughs> by johnny depp i do not have that good of a jawline in real life but i appreciate everyone that uh thinks that actually is me yeah raul duke uh is not uh yes, you sir. but uh yeah listen it was great having you on uh, we've got a couple of weeks left. Wish everyone a good luck this week in their fantasy semifinals. We hope everyone hits those cash lines in DFS. They win whatever bets they hand uh, have, you know, because we are going to need to get recoup some of this money for Christmas, <laughs> which is the most important thing. It's all is everyone have a really good holiday uh, and just enjoy, uh, you know, your family uh, as much as you can this weekend and the holiday in general. So we'll be back in week 17. Good luck, everybody. 